0: Hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn, and we're giving Drew the week off again this week because, you know, he's got to have time to do other stuff, right? Anyway, we are here with part number two of all about the IBU Uh, You remember in the first part, we talked about the experiment that we devised to see how closely the IBUs you actually got in your beer aligned with uh, whatever your software told you. We uh, talked to Dana Garvis, the woman who was doing the testing for us, and uh, we talked to Glenn Tinseth, the man who developed the formula that pretty much all of us use. And we also announced that Hey, surprise, surprise, the IBUs that your software is telling you probably aren't the IBUs that you're getting in your beer. This time, we're going to be talking to the people who brewed the beers and get their reactions to the results and uh, find out more about the process they used in doing it and see if that can maybe uh, account for some of the differences. And we're also going to be taking a look a new way of calculating IBUs called the MIBU formula. Uh, I've been using it for a couple of years now and I really like the results I've been getting. You might too, so uh, take a listen and see if it might work for you. And so, as always, grab yourself a beer unless you're driving. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Home Brewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. With Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. It's supporting family farms. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier whose mission is to connect hop growers and brewers. Yakima Chief Hops is proud to have an established Return to Grower program which redistributes an average of 75% of their business earnings back to the family farms who grow the hops in your beer. Where you buy your ingredients matters, and with Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. Learn more at yakimachief.com slash return-growers. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Join the American Homebrewers Association in November and claim an out-of-this-world offer. Use the discount code 5STAR, F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R, to receive a free 32-ounce bottle of IO-STAR sanitizer when you purchase a one-year membership. Get your free I.O. Star with the promo code 5STAR and find holiday inspiration for great gifts, craft beer recipes, beer and food pairing suggestions, and much more by visiting homebrewersassociation.org experimental today. Hurry, this offer won't last. Get the details at homebrewersassociation.org experimental My yeast's fourth quarter legacy curation features two legendary strains for autumn brewing. 1968 London ESB Ale, and 1728 Scottish Ale. These yeast strains were isolated 30 years ago for our culture collection and continue to be brewmasters' top choices for traditional, malty European ales today. Both are regarded for their high flocculation and suitability for strong and seasonal specialty styles like double IPAs, smoked and barrel-aged beers, British bitters, barley wine, and more. Completing this curation are two limited-release lager favorites, 2000 Boudvar Lager and 2001 Pilsner Erkel H-Strain. Available now through the end of December, Budvar Lager delivers rich maltiness and subtle fruit notes while allowing hop character to come through in Czech lagers and German Helles styles. The Pilsner Erkel Strain produces mild floral aromas and a clean, dry palate and full mouthfeel for Czech lagers and Bohemian-style Pilsners. Catch up on our Latest blog posts and learn more about this release at whyeastlab.com. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer 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 beer.
1: beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Welcome back to the lab. On our last episode, we revealed the results of our IBU experiment. And just as a reminder, what we did was uh, we got a bunch of hops from Nico Lukov who analyzed the hops for us so that we knew exactly what sort of alpha acids and other oils that we were having going into this experiment. Uh, Nico had sent those out to a bunch of our Igors, and we gave the Igors three standard recipes to brew, an American Bale Ale, an IPA, and a double IPA. And all the Igors brewed those, shipped the beers to Denny, and then Denny took them over to Oregon Brew Lab uh, run by our friend Dana Garvis, who then analyzed the beer so we could actually see, okay, what did we actually get in the beer in terms of IBUs? So after that last episode, we had a lot of people chime in and say, hey, well, what about these factors and these factors? You know, What would account for the spread that we were seeing? Did different people have different chilling regimes? Did different people have different boil velocities? So what we decided to do was we put a call out there to the Igors who did the experiment, and we said, who wants to come talk to us? And tell us exactly what you did. So what we have now lined up for you is we're about to jump on the phones and we are going to talk to a handful of our igors and have them walk you through exactly what they did, what they think might have affected their IBU levels, and what changes they might possibly make to their brewing processes thanks to this whole experiment. Okay, we are back and we
0: have Jeremy Wickham on the phone. How are you today, Jeremy? Yeah, how you guys doing? Great, man. So, uh, where are you at?
2: I am in Starville, Mississippi.
0: I detected something Southern about you there.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, very Southern. (laughs) Grew up 30 miles away from here. Came to college at Mississippi State and never left.
0: Wow. Interesting, man. Yep. So, uh, tell us about your brew day with this beer. Everything goes smoothly?
2: No, which one? Uh, I did two. I did the Pale Ale and the IPA. Tell us about both of them. Okay, so yeah, they were both pretty smooth. Um, I didn't really have any issues. So, with the Pale Ale, um, the only difference between the Pale Ale and the IPA is where I got my water. And my water source for the Pale Ale is there is a spring uh, about 20 miles south of where I live, and um, I collected all my water there. So, with the IPA, I did uh, distilled water, and then I added minerals to that. So. uh, have you
0: ever, by any chance, had that spring water analyzed to see what it's it's like?
2: Me personally, I haven't, and I've been trying to get a contact at the university I work at to. Apparently, they they analyze it
3: uh-huh.
2: uh, every month in the national, the maybe the Mississippi Forest Commission. They analyze it once a month, so I haven't been able to find a contact for it. But it's it's pretty pure and it's clean, tastes great. This is I go and get it and I fill up all my drinking water vessels with it. So. I mean it's it's very good. I just don't know the mineral content of the water yet. Right. So uh, it's made some pretty good beers.
0: Tell us tell us about your uh, brewing system. Uh, what's your kettle like?
2: Okay, I have a 20 gallon Blickman brew kettle, and my mash ton is just a round um, Home Depot cooler
0: mm-hmm.
2: with a uh, mesh screen on the bottom. And then I have another 10-gallon Home Depot cooler with a uh, – it's just I use as a hot liquor tank.
0: Right. And so how, how do you do your chilling?
2: I have a immersion chiller, which is way too small for the pot I have because <laughs> it was my very first one, and I haven't – I've been too cheap to buy a new one. Right. So um, right now I chill with, with a, an immersion chiller, and then I've also added a pump recently. This past year I added a pump, and I recirculate. Cool. And Whirlpool uh, now.
1: Right. That always helps, doesn't it? And,
2: mm, sure does. And
1: like, how long does it usually take for you to chill a batch?
2: Um, depends. So, I'm in Mississippi. In the summer, it can take mm-hmm. me anywhere from an hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. In the winter, I can chill a batch in probably 30 minutes. So, we've had pretty balmy weather in the past few months. So, I brewed this beer, the Pale Ale in September and the IPA in October. And I would imagine they were both, the days were in the nineties. So I would have, I think it took me probably in the 45 minutes an hour range before I chilled to a, a temperature that I could put in a carboy. Because with my groundwater temp in the summer, I can't, it's, it's hard pressed for me to get a beer under 80 degrees. Wow. Pitching yeah. Without, uh, without doing the pre-chiller and all that, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to do that. But, um, what I do is I chill as much as I can until it pretty much flatlines, and then I throw it in the carboy, put it in my chest freezer, and the next morning I pitch.
0: Right, right. So basically, then uh, your hops are staying in there longer than other people's might because it takes you a while to chill.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of interesting because you know part of the reason why we're talking with you first is you are pretty much our dead-on normal example uh, of the Igors that we're talking to today. Because when we looked at the two beers that you submitted, uh, and thank you again for submitting your beers, we had the APA was measured out at 35 IBUs uh, when we ran it through the the science process. And that was against a 32 IBU predicted for the recipe. Right. So – you're like right in there. And then Dana actually uh, did her her perception analysis where she did her sensory uh, version, and she uh, clocked you in at 36 IBUs, so right on on top of what she measured. So I right, that's pretty much about as close in as I think you can get for using a formula not designed for pellets and for unknown equipment. And then on your IPA, uh, the IPA was supposed to be calculated out at 58 IBUs, and you came in at a measure of 60 IBUs. So again – you were dead on, which is yeah. interesting that it takes you that uh, that it takes you that long to chill. Mm-hmm. Just think how far
0: off you'd be if it didn't.
2: Right, exactly. <laughs> I, w- I wonder how how my uh, beers would turn out.
0: Yeah, I know, man. It, that's that's very interesting, and it uh, it just goes back to what Glenn Tinseth was saying when we uh, talked to him about how. Uh, the, the chilling method makes a huge, huge difference in the amount of bitterness that you get. Uh, and, it you know, it it's starting to look like, unless you do everything exactly the way Glenn did when he wrote these theories, that you'll never get the right answer.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think Glenn's been quoted in the past as saying that his IBU formula is absolutely perfect for his equipment at the time that he was brewing. So, um, now, I have to ask, with... Having done this experiment now and having seen what you got back in terms of measurement, do you think this affects how you're going to look at recipe formulation in the future or what you're going to be looking for in terms of your bitterness? Like, if you do step up your chilling, are you going to have to, do you feel like you're going to be compelled to change, you know, what you do?
2: No, I probably won't change because I like what I'm producing. So if I do get a new chiller um, and my uh, efficiency on chilling is increased, and I see a, a difference, then I'll start to to um, adjust my.
0: Yeah, I know you'll, you'll, right, you'll right, right the recipes to compensate for the new chilling, right?
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, you know what? And again, Glenn kept stressing numbers don't matter. Your satisfaction with your beer is what matters. So that really exactly. seems to be the approach that you're taking, and uh, mm-hmm. that's the way it ought to be. So. Okay, Drew, any uh, other questions for Jeremy today?
1: No, I have no other questions, but uh, I'm glad that you uh, helped us out here with the experiment. Uh, any, anything else that you that you took away from this?
2: Um, I did take a first place in a competition with a pillow. <laughs> right on, hey! buddy. That that sure nice. I sure did. Yeah, I draw-hopped. Nice. Um, I split my batches. I draw-hopped uh, the one I didn't send you guys, and mm-hmm. I, I took first place in a local competition down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi.
1: What? Uh, uh, what did you dry hop with?
2: I think the same. I uh, dry hopped it with Columbus Centennial Cascade. There
1: oh, we go. Oh, I think
2: yeah. it's a good ounce of piece.
1: A super, a super classic American pale ale and IPA recipe formulation. Yes. 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 Okay, Jeremy,
0: well man, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to be with us today and especially for all the hassle of brewing those beers and packing them up and sending them up here man uh, I know what uh, what a chore that is because I just did it the other day
2: so, uh, yes sir I, I do appreciate it and I'm glad to uh, appreciate what you guys are doing well thanks man so I enjoy the podcast.
0: Well, you know what? And we couldn't do it without you and the rest of the Igors. That's what really makes all the difference. So uh, hopefully you'll be in on some of the other experiments we got coming up. I plan on it. All right, man. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day.
2: All right. Thank you. You too.
0: All right. Bye-bye. We have Ben Mighton on the phone now. Hi there, Ben. How are you doing today?
2: I'm
4: wonderful, thank you.
0: So where are you at, man?
4: I'm up in uh, Tacoma, Washington. Not oh. uh, too far away from you guys,
0: I think. Well, not too far away from me. Drew is in uh, Poseidon, so he's a little bit farther away.
1: Uh, Only about 14 uh, hours away. Come on. Or, no, yeah. actually, sorry, take your back.
0: <laughs> as, as the crow walks, right? Exactly.
1: There you go. So,
0: uh, Ben, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your brew day for this beer. How'd it go?
4: Yeah, you know, all things considered, it was a pretty smooth brew day. I. You know, i be nervous about missing numbers and all that, but uh, things went off pretty much without a hitch.
0: So you hit, um, you hit your I, original gravity and everything?
4: I hit the original gravity right on. I was worried about it going into the boil. It looked like a little low on the refractometer, but measured out right on the hydrometer and confirmed at the end of the batch. So I was, looks like, 1084 for original gravity on
1: it. Great. Right, and for, and for the record, Ben did the, uh, the double IPA uh, in this particular run. Right, right. Yeah.
0: So, Ben, true. tell tell us a little bit about your brewing system. What's your your kettle and burner and chilling procedure like?
4: Yeah. So, I'm using a converted keg as a kettle uh, with the top cut out, and I'm doing brew in a bag. So, I've got uh, a bag from the brewbag.com, com, I think, is what they were, mm-hmm. and um, I use electric heat on the keg, so a 5500 watt element, the straight fold back style, not the wavy looking one.
0: Right. Right.
4: And then I've got a little basic controller that um, does okay, uh, but I don't usually put any heat to it during the mash. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was heat to strike. Uh, I got pretty close. I think I was down by about, looks like maybe a degree at uh, dough in, which felt pretty good. I usually add the grain to the bag while it's already in the water, sort of pour in and stir while I go for what it's worth mash with a couple of stirs, looks like 30 and 60, I did a stir and took a measurement, um, and pulled the bag and added the sugar when I got the bag out, mm-hmm. and started heating up. Right. I usually do 100% heat until I'm boiling, and then dial back to 60 or 65. Right. Do you, um, uh, do you bag and, uh, your
0: hops by any chance?
4: You know, I do not. Okay. I've considered it from time to time, uh, mostly when I've had a big mess or <laughs> plug the pump, but I usually just throw everything in there loose and cross my fingers.
0: Right. Okay.
4: This one I didn't have any problems with. And, uh, and pretty what do bitter you, beer, but.
0: What do you do for chilling, Ben?
4: So I use an immersion chiller. It's a half-inch copper by 50 feet. Okay. Um, and it, it went in about 15 minutes from the end of the boil, um, and then chilled down to 160. It uh, looks like my notes say it took me a minute forty seconds to get to one sixty. Wow, that's great! Uh, after the boil,
0: that's really. Fast. We
4: had cold. We uh, had cold water that day, <laughs> that day I guess. Uh, it looked Let's like I overshot on my whirlpool temp a little bit. I ended up at one forty-five by the time things settled out. But.
1: Well, hmm. I was going to say, so that I mean, that rapid chilling is kind of an interesting little variable because. So looking at the double IPA uh, recipe, when we calculated it out, it was calculated to be 76 IBUs. Now, of course, we also knew that going, going on the higher end of the scale was going to lead probably to more wobble just because of how those curves work. So it was calculated to be uh, 76 IBUs. And what we actually had measured by Dana was uh, 45. And yeah. uh, her 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 perception when she did her sensory analysis, she, she pitted at 52 IBUs. So uh, okay. W- uh, so interestingly low. And and part of the question then would be, well, you said you took a minute and a half to get down to 160. Uh
4: yeah yeah a minute and a half so. to 160 and then
1: 145 when I started the clock on the whirlpool. So now then that makes me wonder if if the formula here doesn't kind of assume, or the curve at least assume like a certain path of chilling in a certain amount of time above, you know, the, that 170 mark that a lot of people talk about. Because well, I mean,
0: let's, let's face it. Glenn never tested what kind of IBU contributions uh, whirlpool hops make. So uh, it's, it's really hard to say, but it's, it's interesting. Uh, ben, I'll tell you, we just talked to, uh, to Jeremy Wickham who lives in Mississippi and it takes him like up to an hour and a half to chill because of the water temperature there. Um, oh, wow. but his IBU numbers came in much higher than yours and, uh, pretty much in line with what were predicted. So this is starting to look like it's going back to Glenn's idea that, uh, how long it takes you to chill can have a real, real effect on the amount of IBUs you get.
4: It makes sense. It makes sense commercially, too, to me, anyway. Yeah. That a lower rate might correlate better.
0: Yeah. That's a.
4: Boy, that, From my recipe, it didn't look like the contribution of the Whirlpool hops, even though there was by mass quite a bit of it, didn't look like it contribute that much by IBU. Yeah. Seven well, or eight IBUs worth.
0: Right. But, you know, uh, I think that uh, at this point, everybody is kind of guessing at the ibu contribution (laughs) of whirlpool hops and obviously obviously that's going to be different depending on how long it takes you to chill i mean we may be looking at a a need for a new hop formula that takes length of chilling time into
1: account it
0: could be so drew any any, uh world shaking
1: insights from you world shaking insights uh not that i'm going to share on this podcast because well i'd like (laughs) the world to be the way it is but i mean so, yeah, I mean, because this was a 20-minute steep of cascade that you had. So that's kind of uh, kind of Correct. interesting. Yeah, I totally think the formula assumes a certain sort of chilling profile because I don't think a lot of brewers were obsessively trying to push down as cold as we do these days, uh, or at least as fast. Uh, so now here's the other question. So given that you you measured in at, I think it was, uh, 40, yeah, 45 IBUs, when you're tasting the beer, when you're looking at this beer – How do do you perceive the bitterness in comparison to the other beers that you've done on your own?
5: Uh, You know, it was
4: uh, surprisingly smooth or balanced, I guess. Everybody that tasted it was sort of caught off guard that it was a double IPA. And I think a lot of that came from a lack of real sharp or aggressive bitterness in it. mm -hmm. And I got a lot of the same. I didn't pick up as aggressive bitterness as I'd get from maybe making the um, the Pliny the Elder plum recipe that floats around out there i feel like Mm -hmm. that's got much more assertive hop character and this one was a lot more muted It certainly wasn't unbalanced and from the abv i would have expected it to need 60 or 70 ibu to feel as balanced as it was but again i kind of shook up on what an ibu actually means in my system now
0: (laughs) (laughs) believe me man we all are you know um I can tell you that, uh, that Oakshire, the brewery that I do some work with here, uh, had, uh, Dana come in and, uh, take samples of their boil every 10 minutes and develop their own curve for hop utilization. Uh, and I'm starting to go, well, damn, maybe that's what we need to do too is every home brewer needs to send off, you know, like six or eight samples from a typical boil and get their own curve
4: measured. Uh, I wouldn't doubt there it. In go. fact, I'm inspired to send some of my other beers over to her to have her take a
0: look at them. Yeah, right. Uh, that that would be really interesting. I mean, you brew up that Pliny clone that uh, you think is so hoppy and then send her one to see what it really comes out to
1: be.
4: Sure.
1: Well, I have so, a, well, I hey, have a so Northern it, Brewer yeah. batch, too. Yeah. yeah. Right, well, I was gonna say, it, it, well, now let me ask. Now that you've seen these numbers uh, for your particular beer, do you think there's anything that you're – thinking of changing about how you brew or are you still just going to plug away the way that you've been brewing
4: i had a long conversation with some buddies that i brew with about whether seeing the number is going to change how i make the beer or whether i'm just going to drink the beer and not drink the numbers it, to be honest i probably won't change recipes that i think turn out well from this um i may look you know, i've got a couple of recipes that i've tried and feel like they didn't come out quite right And the ones that came out a little too malty or not hoppy enough, yeah, I may take this and say, well, I won't be scared of going up to a calculated IBU of 90 or 100 or 150 or whatever the number comes out to, knowing that the utilization might not be as high.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it looks like you're, what, roughly like 25 30% low, so you could experiment with just, say, adding 30% more hops, too, and see what that does.
4: I tell you, the cheapskate in me mean, wants to experiment with a 30% more vigorous boil or something <laughs> easy like that, and I don't have to buy any more hops. Or or a,
0: a throttle down throttle down the water when you're chilling so that it takes longer.
4: Right, right. I mean, I could whirlpool without turning on the chiller. Traditionally, I'll turn on the chiller, run it down to 170, 165, somewhere around there, cut off the water. I mean, I could just not do that. Just whirlpool hot Yeah,
0: right, right. I mean... Who, who knows, man? It, it looks like yeah, there's stuff to play around with there, but uh, this this experiment uh, really has shown us that uh, there's a lot of things that we think that we know that we don't know that really deserve some more uh, looking into.
4: Uh, even at a 45 or 50 IBU beer, it still disappeared out of the kegerator pretty quick, so <laughs> I, mean, I might make the beer again. Just for scientific
1: purposes, you know. Yeah, right. Of course. of course. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> that, you know. Well, I mean, look, science is repetition and note-taking. So you've got you the go. note-taking. you got to get the repetition. That's right. That's, That's right. It.
0: You know, try it again, see if it tastes the same. So, All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it, and we really appreciate you being an Igor and brewing these beers and going through the hassle of packing them up and shipping them up here to me.
4: Well, I appreciate you guys putting together a program like this. You're doing great work, and I hope it keeps uh, keeps on for a couple months.
0: Well, yeah, believe me, it'll be at least a couple more months. <laughs>
4: there we go. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, guys. It was great talking to you.
1: You too, man. Talk to you later. And on the line now, we have Kevin Cole. Uh, Kevin, where, uh, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Michigan. All right, from Michigan. And Kevin uh, actually was our, our fancy label man. Gave us some really great uh, labels on the bottles. So, um. And you uh, submitted three different beers. Uh, you submitted the all three the the ones that we were doing in this experiment: the American Pale Ale, the IPA, and the Double IPA. And just uh, to start with, we'll take a look at the results, and then we'll get into what your brew day is like, and see, you know, huh, how's that impact what we what we saw. So, on the American Pale Ale, which was supposed to uh, was calculated out to 32 IBUs, uh, Dana had actually measured 20 IBUs in your sample. And when she did her perceptual analysis, came up with 27 IBUs. When uh, the IPA was calculated out to 58 IBUs, and the samples were measured at 37 IBUs with a perceptual measurement of 40. And then finally, the double IPA, which was calculated to 76, came out to a measure of 55 with a perception of 50. So it was the first time the perception was actually lower. Um, So all in all... It looks like each of the samples that were submitted, they actually ended up being lower than what the predicted, uh, IBUs were. So now it's kind of interesting. You're very consistent, which is awesome because you can adjust for that. But it, walk us through what your brew days like. Like, how big batches are you making? You know, what's your system like? And um, what do you remember about these particular brew days? Well,
6: like, with the first one with the panel, like, my system, I'm brewing indoors on a what can do about a 10 gallon batch of a fairly high gravity beer is in a bang, but so it's a, it's a 20 gallon kettle though, um, which means that when I'm doing five gallon batches like these are, the, the boil is very shallow and it's an electric induction boil. So it's also most of the heat is very concentrated at the center of the pot. So while it is boiling, um, to do the, indoors in my basement without having to hold my wall and add a whole bunch of um, fans and everything. I had been experimenting with just kind of recirculating at like 207, 208 degrees, kind of like what I read Matic was doing, where it wasn't really boiling so much as just getting really, really close to boiling and still pasteurizing and still getting hops out of it. And so that's what I have been doing, and that's what I did with all of these batches. And I guess in my experience from judging score sheets before this, even before I was when I was regularly boiling on the system, I was getting less utilization because I would get score sheets back that says, you know, hop characters lower, or I enter a white IPA in a competition and someone tells me, well, it's not quite a white IPA, but it's a very good hoppy whittier. Uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this, this is the kind of feedback that I've gotten in the past, and and then when I've done like recipes where it's like like a recipe out of a book or a recipe that is that uh, for is for cloning, if I follow the math perfectly, it, it never seemed quite right. Like it, it just didn't taste quite the way it was. in, in fact, my copy, Whitbier was a published clone from the brewery of a white IPA.
1: So. Well, and so it's interesting because yeah, you uh, just looking at each of these results. I mean. You're running somewhere at about yeah you know, sixty to seventy percent of the predicted IBU results, so or the the calculations, yeah. and and are, are you still are you still running at this sort of not quite a boil level or?
6: Yeah, I think I'd probably be running at that not quite a boil level forever. It's just like it produces beer that tastes fine to me. Um, I'm just gonna what I've done now is I've gone to Beersmith and told it that there's a setting that I found in there that talks about for commercial systems where you're over 100 liters or something to change the hop utilization. And even though I'm doing five gallons, I told it's not 100% anymore, it's 75. And that gets me pretty – when I did that, then at least the double IPA, the IBUs were really close to the right measure. And Mm -hmm. I figured going forward, I'm just going to build clone recipes by looking at the clone recipe when they tell me it's 20 IBUs, how to get 20 IVs with my 75% utilization and go from there.
0: So what do you do for chilling, Kevin?
6: Uh, chilling, I have uh, a pretty large immersion chiller. So I have a 50-foot uh, coil of copper that's half-inch copper that goes in. And groundwater here in Michigan is pretty cold, even in the summer. So uh, when I start recirculating, uh, you can watch it count down like it's counting down to a shuttle liftoff on the – Temperature is going one per second until I get to about 70 degrees. So as soon as I
1: put that in, there's not a lot of time that it, the hops are going to keep working. Right. See, so I'm 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 super jealous of all you people with actual cold groundwater.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, mine's about 45.
6: I, I can I can use the immersion chiller to get to uh, 52 degrees right
1: now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, m- meanwhile, my uh, my groundwater is still averaging somewhere in the 70s. <laughs> So, so one thing that
0: we're seeing, Kevin, is that the quicker people chill, the farther off they are from the IBU targets. So, I mean, and Glenn had, Glenn had postulated when we talked to him in the last episode that, uh, how quickly you chill makes a big difference in, uh, how close you are to the estimates. And in talking to people here today, what we have seen is that the people who take longer to chill, for instance, uh, we talked to Jeremy Wickham, who brews down in Mississippi. It can take him up to an hour and a half to chill, and his beers came on almost dead on on the IBU estimates. So none of these
6: would have taken me more than 15
0: minutes. Yeah, right. and And that's kind of the same for me this time of year, too. Uh, so it's a, it, it it's very interesting uh, and uh, kind of seems like that is going to have a major effect on uh, on your IBUs. Drew, anything else here for uh, Kevin?
1: Now that you have this, you already talked that you've, you're making some adjustments to you know how you're brewing in terms of kind of making an assumption of different hop utilization. Do you think there's anything else, uh, having seen these results, that you're going to change? Um, yeah, I don't
6: I don't really think so because I'm afraid that I. Like it looks like, well, one, I could spend a, a lot more time chilling, and, and that doesn't really appeal to me compared to throwing another quarter ounce of bittering hops.
0: Right.
6: Um, and and my, I also, I'm not really inclined to go back to like a like a full rapid boil because then I have a lot of boil off, and mm-hmm. I have to deal with all of that ventilating in the air, and I don't, I don't really want to deal with that. I, I'm much happier brewing in the basement where I don't have to be in the cold so and i and i'm really not in a situation where i really want to be you know slicing dice holes in the wall to get enough ventilation <laughs> to get that steam out of there right so since that's working and i'm not even sure based on the chilling thing that that changing it back to like a more rapid blow would have made a big difference in this at all it sounds like my chillers what's at fault so
1: leave it alone well and very uh, very strong point to make here it's not that the, the- Chillers at fault. It's just that the chillers, the chiller impacts the calculations. No, I, th- I mean, I think what you're doing is probably the right thing. I mean, we talk about this all the time with commercial breweries or with other home brewers. you know, you change up a piece of gear or you change some technique and you got a little bit of time when your recipes are kind of wobbling around a little bit as you dial in. And so, yeah, I think here with this, the more rapid chilling, you've already started to adjust for, you know, what you're actually perceiving. So again, the IBU number is a lie. Just change what you're doing to get to the right potential yeah. range for yourself.
6: I think what I really like about it is, is I guess before actually seeing the numbers, like it the beers that worked out best for me were always the ones that when you went into the like kinda you have know, that little style mirror in Beersmith and it's showing the I views and I'm in the red or just about to the red and those are the ones that, that seem to turn out better than the ones where I was in the middle of the range or even worse at the bottom. And this kind of, I guess, is, it's more of a confirmation of what was going on, but I guess mm-hmm. before that, I really wasn't too inclined when doing like, like straight up clone recipes. I wasn't inclined to just go and blow off what their IBU number was and, and hop it heavier, but now I am, so.
1: Well, yeah, now so you have the, the think now you have out. the confidence yeah, and understanding of how your system works. Yeah. Exactly. So that's good. All right. All right, Denny, anything else?
0: Nope, I think that's about it. Uh, thanks a bunch for your time today, man. We really appreciate uh, you talking to us and brewing the beers and packing them up and shipping them out to me. Well, that,
6: that thanks a lot you guys for testing them
0: and getting us all set up. Well, uh, you know, I I hope that it was a valuable experience for you, and I hope that you'll uh, participate in some of the experiments we got coming up in the future. All right, Kevin, thanks again for talking to us. Have a great rest of the day.
1: You too. All right, bye-bye. Uh, this time we have Mike O'Toole. Mike, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, where are you calling us in from? Uh, I'm from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And now, uh, just for the record, uh, I, we were talking earlier that we've we've actually met before. We've met at Homebrew Con, uh and you were actually on the podcast earlier.
7: Yeah, I talked about, uh, you know, I think it was an Imperial Red that I made, Um you, you all tasted it, and I just talked about
1: my brew process right. and how we got and, started. And then, uh, which club were you a part of?
7: Uh, the Annapolis Homebrew Club.
1: That's right. All right. So, for this particular uh, for this particular experiment, uh, Mike actually uh, jumped up and volunteered and did a two brew sessions. You did the American Pale Ale, and you did the Double IPA. And what we thought was interesting, part of the reason why we wanted to have you on to talk, was that you kind of pulled off the perfect brewer's 7-10 split here, uh, where a lot of our brewers have been going uh, low or just about on par or a little bit above the numbers. You actually managed to split the difference and go low on one and high on the other. So congratulations on that one.
7: That's that's a uh, real that's challenge, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I'm con- I can be consistently inconsistent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's important All in right. life. when people think i'm going to zig or zag i've got that skill um all right and so just to just to walk through the two brew sessions real quick or the two brews real quick uh on the apa that was calculated out at 32 ibus you actually measured in 43 ibus and then on the double ipa which was calculated out to 76 ibus you came in at 61 so up and down up and down uh so why don't we dig in, uh, talk a little bit about your brew sessions, uh, what you're brewing on, and these particular uh, brew batches uh, as they went for you and see what we can figure from those numbers.
7: Yeah, so um, this was the second and third batch that I did on a grandfather. Um, I typically brew on a 15-gallon three-tier setup. Uh, so these brew days ended up being somewhat different for me because not having really a lot of experience on this equipment, um, brought a few challenges as I went, but I tried to replicate most of my traditional process within the confines of the grandfather. Uh, and I did a pretty good job. I think at uh, replicating that where the systems could do that. I mean, there were things like sparging and, uh, whatnot that, that couldn't be the same. And then just the length of time that it takes to brew on that system, um, walk you through, um, the pale ale, um, I, uh, the mashin was pretty, that was pretty simple. Um, you know, 60 minute bat, um, mash. I will tell you that I did scale these recipes up to seven gallon pre-boil so that I was mm-hmm. aiming for six students and change of finishing, um, of, of, of in the fermenter beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, some the numbers in the Beersmith, just kind of taking the percentages that you, that you, have, giving your, uh, hops and putting them in, into the percent the same percentages so I could calculate and get the same off of you. So, um with that being said, I mean, I just followed the same typical recipe, was, you know. My, my grain bill I scaled up, um, just to get to the, you know, the, you know, the seven gallon pre-bill that yeah. I had in the grain father. Um so that was about 85% pale ale, uh, about 10% unic 10, uh, 5% crystal 60. And then, um my hops were bumped up just slightly from where you were at, and that was just, uh, that was at .6 ounces of each, um the Columbus Centennial and Cascade. And that ended up getting me in into- the in the same calculation what was the ID supposed to be 30, 32, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: 30, yeah, 32 for the, uh, American pale ale. Okay. So I had
7: 36 years, but, um, that, that could be part of, um, a bump, but I came in at what, 48. Yep.
0: Okay. So you were about, you were 30% high or so on that one. Although I w I don't know if I made a change to the, uh,
7: yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I need seen the alpha assets that were in these calculations. I, have, I don't have the software in front of me, so um, you know it usually has the stock uh, uh-huh. alphas in there, so they, they probably weren't adjusted according to uh,
1: what the deco brewers were the same. At the same time, if you scaled up based on weight, yeah, you know, we had already recalculated the recipes to deal with the the IBUs. So Or the uh, the, yeah. the known alpha acid. So as long as you were scaling by that number, I think you you would have been on target. Right.
0: Yeah. So so let's talk chilling. Did you use the uh, Grainfather counterflow chiller?
7: I did. So, and this is typically what I do with poppy doers anyway, is I'll, like, right at knockout, I'll, or usually two minutes before knockout, I'll start circulating through. That way um, I'm sanitizing the equipment at boil temperature. Mm-hmm. And then letting it, um, and then I usually just let it circulate for 30 minutes and then I let it pre-bump them twice. And then, um, at the 30 minute mark, that's when I'm turning the water on and then I'm starting to pump it into the fermenter and, um, throttling, throttling the flow back accordingly so that I, I'm trying to get at least, you know, hit a 70 degree temp or lower into the preventer. Right, and it was about 15 minutes to transfer from there.
0: Do you uh, bag your hops when you're using the grandfather
7: No. As a matter of fact, um, and I learned kind of a lesson <laughs> with that, and we can talk more about it with the with the Dipa, but uh, the pale ale I didn't have any problems with, um, kind of just throwing them in freestyle. I I don't typically bag or
0: How yeah, right. oh, dare you well, have an I mean, opinion? I I found with the grandfather, at least for me, that I absolutely have to bag my hops, uh, or else the the pump just gets hopelessly clogged. Uh well, it what? Uh, it was a struggle. Yeah, and apparently if you whirlpool, that that works, but I'm whirlpool impaired, so it doesn't work for me. But I was you <laughs> know uh, I was just wondering um if you had bagged the hops because that could make a difference although again on the ipa you were high so it wouldn't make a difference in that direction so i'm baffled i'm baffled drew you got any any guesses
1: no as to i mean there's always possibility there was a scaling error you know and going up but i mean again the math on that's super easy and that wouldn't explain what happens with the next one so why don't we why don't we dig into the into the double ipa okay <laughs> this um,
7: it, it, it started out great when I was. I just I got up. I like to get up early in the morning to kind of get this thing started. And realizing after two brews how long it takes to just get up to mash temperature, even I just went downstairs at like five in the morning, turned the thing on, went about my morning of just kind of getting ready, and you know came back an hour later and I was at strike temperature. Um, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then I mashed in and when I mashed in, I realized, wow, I've maxed out the grain bill here and more because, uh, I just kind of, I didn't think twice about it. I just started dumping the crushed grain in and next thing you know, I was out of space. So I did the quick, what do I do? (laughs) And, um, I, pulled the basket up and I turned on the pump and I drained out some of the water. So I had started to dough in uh. but basically maybe for I don't know it was only it was maybe two minutes so not like I lost a lot of conversion there. But I got some I got some uh, space back but it meant for a thicker mash. Um, so I got through the mash and I thought, okay, well, I've recovered. This is fine. And when I went to go sparge, the one real tricky thing about the grain father is you can't see what your kettle volume is while you're sparging. Yeah, that's it's, right. It's really, really tricky. Um, so I tried to peer into there. I'm using a flashlight. I'm, I, You know, you start taking the, you know, the grain bed or you start pulling that big canister out Completely, you're going to have wart all over the floor. So, um, and I was doing this in my kitchen, by the way.
0: <laughs> so that's why I don't use the grandfather in my kitchen, man. Yeah, I
7: mean it's not as, it's not terribly messy, but you know, if, it's, if you, you know, know it's
0: terribly messy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway,
7: um, that went, you know. So then I recovered from that, but I realized that I over I oversparked by that account. And so I you know, that was a kind of an eyeball estimate. But uh so what I did was I said, well let me see if I can evaporate some of this off to kind of recuperate from this. So I aimed for a ninety minute boil and uh didn't start adding the hops until sixty. Okay. So um I Looking at my notes here, I managed to get down only, let's see, a, a, oh, a quarter of a gallon in 30 minutes Yeah, right. uh, was it about how much it was available to evaporate. Uh, so I said, well, I'm not going to do this all day. So wherever I'm at at 60 minutes, that's where I'm at. Right. And so I missed the mark on my... On my um, my original gravity, you know, I I came in at 10.76 is where I came in at. So I said, okay, well if I can manage to brew this again, I'll do it. Otherwise, it's just going to
0: have to suffice. Yeah, right. So, man, I, it's it is really hard to say what might have happened there that would make your IBUs come out. Uh, come out low uh uh, you know i'll I'll tell you though uh you were a lot closer than a lot of other people
7: (laughs) so i kind of i looked at the numbers on my phone and i kind of i you know i i didn't get to compare them all side by side were people generally low uh it
0: was it was all over the place uh uh it could be as much as 30% low or high, and it just depends. Uh, there were some well, people who were real low.
1: Yeah, and it gets worse as as the gravity goes up. So, I mean, being uh, being low on the double pay is not surprising at all. Uh, we kind of predicted that a lot of people would be, because as you start to get out to the more extreme gravities, since one of the primary influences in Glenn's curve is gravity, uh You're going to see kind of more wobbly results. So, yeah, I mean, we saw some people, I think, that were (laughs) – what what did we have? We had one that was – oh, yeah, like uh, below 60% of the perceived or the calculated um, bitterness. You were at like 81%. So that's not too bad given that we're out there at the extreme ranges of the curve. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, You
7: know, I thought for sure that I'd been completely low on all aspects because of the boil vigor of the grandfather. But, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, now I've got both sides to say that. Yeah, and uh, according to what Glenn
0: has said, uh, I don't think that boil vigor is going to matter as much with pellets as it would with whole hops. Right.
7: Okay. Yeah, I heard that. I heard the interview. Yeah, yeah. The fact that that was that calculation was
1: completely
7: based
0: on whole ops was interesting. <laughs> it kind of blew us away, let me tell you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm certain somewhere in the back of my mind I knew that. And, of course, there's a reason why everybody talks about, oh, well, you know, there are these you know, factors you put into place for pellets and whatnot. But I don't know if anybody's ever actually done the math on, the, on those factors. So right. well, there you go. All right. Well, hey, uh, Mike, real quick, uh, now that you've seen these numbers and uh, now that you've been playing around with the grandfather, uh, do you think there's anything that's going to change about how you brew now that you've seen this? Or, I mean, in your particular case, you got enough of a, a sort of a wibbly wobbly picture that I wonder what you can do with it.
7: Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't go. I, I'm going to make changes out of how it tastes more than I am going to do about you know what the what the actual IBUs came out as because. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I can't measure that with my tongue. I feel like if I made a beer that I'm going to drink, I'm going to want to drink again. That's, and that's that's what I'll try to adjust or what I'll adjust or keep the same. Um, I wasn't too particularly fond of my results of either of these beers. So um, I'd, I'd probably tweak it a little bit, um, you know, but I don't know if it would be a hop thing. I think it'd probably be, you know, a little less crystal and uh, actually add the dry hops mm-hmm. um, to get a little bit more of the hop flavor
0: out of it. Hey, uh, Mike, I just want to thank you for uh, for taking the time to join us today and uh, for especially for taking the time to brew those beers and pack them up and ship them off to me, man. I know what a pain that can be.
7: No, any time. It was a fun experiment. Maybe we should do it with the regular formula
0: next. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks thanks again, man, and have a great rest of your day.
1: Hey, you guys do the same. It was great chatting with
0: you. All right. You too, man. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much. Bye.
0: Okay. Our final Igor with us today is Dave Matson. How you doing today, Dave?
1: Doing great. How you doing?
0: Uh, So far, so good, except I'm working and not drinking.
5: Uh, That makes two of us.
0: (laughs) I don't feel so bad then. So uh, where are you located, Dave?
5: Um, I'm located in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Is it cold up there?
5: Uh, It it gets that way sometimes, a little bit of snow here and there, but it's been actually pretty uh, unseasonably uh, warm winter uh, this year.
0: Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, so let's take a quick look at the results. You brewed all three beers, and I got to give you major props for that, man.
5: <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, they're all, all in one day.
0: All in one day? Oh, that's insane, buddy. <laughs> but thank you. We appreciate it. So, uh, your APA came in at 29 IBUs out of a predicted 32. That is darn close. Your IPA came in at 43 out of a predicted 58, and then your double IPA came in at 44 out of 76.
6: Right.
0: So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, tell us about the brew days, or your brew day. Other than being hectic, did everything go smoothly? You
5: know, uh, everything went uh, very smoothly, Um you know, I, uh, I have two kettles and two mash tons and so I do actually three brews, uh, pretty often, um, you know, finding time to brew. So it actually, I use, uh, Beersmith and I've got Beersmith on two computers and, and really timers going and I label all my, all my, uh, hops and I label, you know, everything going in the boil including the woe flock and yeast nutrients and everything. So I, I was pretty sure that it, as, as the brew day went, uh, uh, the only um, potential, not the only, I had a near miss, uh, my wife came out to ask me um, how the brew day was going. I said, well, I'm making an APA, IPA and a double. And she said, well, what's the difference between them? And I started explaining the differences in the grain bill. And I said, and and I had just finished the I did the double up a second and I had just finished that and put it in the fermenter. And I said, and the big difference in the double is got a poly, you know it's got uh, sugar in it, or it would have sugar in it if the sugar <laughs> that's sitting on the counter was inside in the fermenter. So I, I uh, it came close. I had to um, I, I, I uh, uh, boiled up the sugar, let it cool, and then dropped it in the fermenter afterwards. So I nearly uh, we nearly missed on uh, that on on uh, the sugar wise. But other than that, a uh, very uh, smooth day. Um, you know, going through so I really. You know, I, as I mentioned in some of the emails, I use a, um, like, go through and I I use a uh, muslin bag for the hops, Mm -hmm. and I started doing that, you know, for the last, you know, I've been brewing for about, uh, all grain for about a year and a half, and ever since I started doing all grain, I switched to doing that, and, uh, you know, I, you know, I used the all grain, I used the muslin bag for all three of them, and. Uh, didn't have any problems. Uh, hops were weighed out ahead of time.
0: So are both of your systems the same? Yes,
5: yeah, so I have. I have uh, two uh, boil kettles. Kettles are, are identical. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're identical in geometry. They're, they're two different brands, an Amstel and a Mega Pot, but they're, mm-hmm. they're essentially um, almost identical in geometry, and um, they're both ten gallon brew pots. Um, I used a. Um, you know, I use uh, the different mash tons. I have uh, two 10-gallon uh, igloo-type coolers, the brown coolers, as my mash tons.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, so, in, but you know, that that doesn't really have anything to do with the hops. But right, did you know, you,
0: I, did you hit all your numbers pre-boil and post-boil? Okay.
5: You know, um, I'm going to look here in my notes. Um, my all right. So the APA. On uh, the session here, Um pre-boil came up, came up, uh, see, predicted was one, uh, 1047, I came up at 1043, on the IPA, predicted was uh, 1055, I came up a little short on that, 1045, and, uh, the last one, predicted sixty two and it came up to fifty five i as I've been doing this i routinely come on you know come under in my numbers and it's partly I have to do some adjustments in the efficiency right um in my so what i, I routinely come up under and I recently just tweaked the efficiency just try to get a little closer on predicted but nothing no huge uh gaps
0: yeah, right. right. Well and, and the other thing that's interesting too is if anything, being low on gravity should have increased the IBUs and that doesn't right? seem to be the case, does it? No. No, not at
5: all.
0: Hmm hmm very interesting. Uh let's talk let's talk chilling. Did you chill all three batches the same way?
5: Yes. So the way I chill is I um you know, I have the hot bag in. And so I want to, and I look at my notes here for a second. So at flame out, what I did is I pulled the hot. So now here's where on all three cases, uh, right at flame out, I pull out the hot bag with the bittering and the, the boil additions. Mm-hmm. And then, because um, they were 60 minute, 10 minutes, I actually pull those out and then I added the whirlpool hops, uh, directly to the wart. Gave it a little spin, left the cover off for about 20 minutes, and then turn the, uh, I have an immersion chiller, Mm -hmm. kind of typical immersion chiller type thing, and, um, it, it, they all chill down, you know, uh, pretty, I'll say reasonably quick, maybe, uh, 20 minutes, um, in that, so...
0: Okay, 20 minutes isn't bad.
5: Uh, so so I got a roll of 20 plus then the chill of 20. But again, I, the, the one thing I've, I've noticed, uh, and I think one of the other eaters did the same thing, is you know, pulling out the hot bag because it gets in the way of the, the immersion chiller sometimes. It's like, all right, I just started always pulling the hot bag out and and set that aside.
0: Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm kind of of the opinion that you need to leave those hops in there while you're right. chilling. Uh, What I'll tell you, I I bag, uh, when I use whole hops, I I always bag them, uh, pellets I don't worry about, uh, but whole hops I do. I lay a spoon across the uh, top of my kettle and hang the bag from that, and when I put in the immersion chiller, I kind of, like, lift the bag up, put the chiller in, and then put the bag back in while I'm chilling.
5: Right, Uh, right.
0: it's, It's messy and it's a pain, but for me, that's the way I learned to do it, you know?
5: Right. Right. And you know what? I, at some point when I started doing this, I just started always pulling the hops out. Now I'll say, I've, I've entered a lot of beers in different competitions. Of course, I give, I've made about 50, well, about 10 times less beer than you've made, but you know, I've, I've made about 50 batches total in the last couple you know years that I've been doing this. And um I've never been accused of making an over hop, overly hopped beer. And when I've sent things into competitions, they, almost always come back, um, wear the hops, don't get a lot of the hops. So this is not, you know, for me to say, well, these came up late on, on the IBUs, um, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't go against things that I've had experience with with my system the way I do
0: things. Right, that's normal for you, huh?
5: Yeah, it's a, and so it's making, it, you know, certainly after this, um, I've started thinking about, A, doing less, Hop bagging because I don't I I don't have a plate chiller. I don't have any reason to worry as much. It's just a sure. thing I started doing and have never thought about it. Right.
0: You know, and the other thing that I do when I bag my hops is I take into account the often cited uh figure. I have no idea if it's right, but they they there's a, a claim that uh, bagging your hops reduces your utilization by ten percent. So when right. I bag my hops. I add 10% more hops.
5: Right, and and I just started poking around in the in the um, software just to see where I could. I, I'm sure it's in there somewhere, um, but you know, where I could just have it calculate that for me, or ultimately on a something that doesn't have a real lot of hops in it, I could not worry about it as much and just yeah. uh, and just throw the hops in and call it good. Um, but But, again, it was just one of those things where, you know, I I looked at a technique of uh, using a hot bag, and, okay, well, I guess that'll work.
0: Well, there are advantages to that, too. So, Right. um, You know, um, so based on all of this, are you going to change anything in the way you brew?
5: Uh, Yeah, well, so a couple of things. Um, Well, the most important thing, probably I'm going to change – um, how I, uh, you know, put the hops in. I'm going to spend a little more time, um, you know. I'll just drop, for the most part, drop hops in, and um, and not worry so much about a hop bag, unless um, I've got, unless I've got a you know, a whole bunch of um, you know, over the top amount of hops going in. But you know, the, the downside is there's a reason for that, is because you're trying to get a lot of the hop... So, you know, I, I ultimately may just go back to throwing hops in. I think I started doing this when I had a smaller kettle, and I didn't, you know, it was just trying to minimize the amount of the, the hop gunk oh,
3: getting right. into the
5: fermenter, right? And right. Uh, but it's a couple of times, for instance, I made a triple, and I and I didn't want to put the I, I put a little bit of uh, orange peels, and I didn't want to put that in the hop bag because I really wanted to get more of that flavor out of there. So I'm starting to just forget the hop bag for now. And I may have to revisit if I ever get a plate chiller, but for now it's uh, okay. probably that's the biggest thing I'll do.
0: Just go back to using the hops loose instead of putting them in bags. huh?
5: Using the hops loose. You know, I've got a really, you know, I've got a pretty accurate scale. So I know I'm getting the right
0: sure,
5: right amount in, um, but, uh, um, yeah, so that's probably yeah, the it, biggest it thing. Yeah, it
0: would be interesting for you to try it without a bag and see how it compares, you know. Uh, at, at the very least, uh, perception-wise, even if you don't get the unbagged beers analyzed, you can see how uh, how your perception stacks up against the beers where you bag the hops.
5: Absolutely. And I did, I just was listening to a podcast, probably it might have been uh, uh, Beer or uh, but it had uh uh um, Marshall on there, and they had just, this was about six months ago, and they and I just happened to do, you know, catching up on this, but he had done the experiment of a hot bag versus no hot bag, and they really didn't see a lot of difference, but what I didn't know, because I haven't read the actual philosophy thing, was did he pull the hot bag out, because that might be, uh, Danny, that might be actually sort of this in-between thing, where leaving the hot bag in for the entire chilling
0: yeah it would it it's going to make some difference i i can 't really say how much right. difference it's going to make but it i think right. it will make a difference you know and yep. I, I think it's just something you need to play with and do it multiple times and see what you think right
5: well, it sounds like more experiments to do and i I tend to I do a lot of split batches and and, and uh
0: well, yeah, do a lot right. of with, experiments. Two, with two systems i mean here 's a perfect chance you know split your work between two kettles. Bag the hops yep. in one and not the other one, and see what happens.
5: That's exactly it, right? I mean, so that's that's kind of where I'm heading is when I, you know, when I uh, make that next, you know, hoppy type, you know, the IPA type beer, is to really, um, really maybe revisit these these uh, types of hops and amounts that we use for this particular experiment, and really uh, see if I can pop it up a little bit. Yeah. Right.
0: Okay, man. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and especially thank you for brewing three beers and packing them up and shipping them off to me. I, I know what a pain that is, and I really appreciate it.
5: Well, it was uh, fun doing the experiments, and I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, doing a few more as one of the Igors, uh Danny. and, uh, yeah, fun.
0: Great, man. Well, we really appreciate having your input, Dave. Uh, have a great rest of your day. All right, you too. All right, bye-bye. Well, that was pretty interesting, huh? Uh, Wide, wide range of brewing styles there. Um, One thing that really struck me was that uh, everybody seems to take different amounts of time chilling, and that was one of the things that Glenn had really cited as being able to make a difference, huh?
1: Yeah, and I said this in the phone calls, but I really do think that there is something there about the fact, like, the curve probably is adapted to glenn's chilling regime i mean he we talked about it in the in the calls that he said in the past that the ibu calculations are absolutely perfect and spot on for his equipment at the time that he was brewing and so now what we've got is different sorts of chilling regimes different people taking different amount of times yeah i can totally see that affecting the amount of ibus that you get out of something
0: yeah, and it's kind of like uh, like I was saying uh, in one of the, the conversations we had. It's almost at the point where if you really, really want to know, you have to take a sample every 10 minutes of your own brew and get that analyzed and make your own curve. But let's get real. Who's going to do that?
1: Well, and don't forget, it's not just every 10 minutes on, on a sample beer that you're brewing. It's every 10 minutes on a couple sample beers at a couple of different gravities. Because right. we do know that gravity does play uh, play a little bit of a trick in here, and then of course we have the whole follow up thing of is it gravity or is it protein?
0: Yeah, right. And especially uh, considering the uh, discussion about uh, pellets versus whole hops, it makes you wonder if uh, if it was a protein effect and it was coating whole hops, or and if in that case, does it really have the same effect if you use pellets? I mean, who knows? The more questions we answer, the more questions pop up to be answered, right?
1: And uh, damn that science always making <laughs> us find new things to explore.
0: <laughs> yeah, really. There's more to come, so stick around. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Air Still Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug and play. The AirStill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits AirStill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the AirStill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. of equipment you're supporting the people who support america brewing america hydrometers are available on amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com the ultimate all-in-one electric home brewing system is here The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in homebrewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves wort flow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3,300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Welcome back to The Lounge, where we're going to lounge around and uh, talk to a couple guys from Grainfather, Sam Loader and Marco Haynes. Uh, The reason we're talking to them is because Grainfather has started implementing a new IBU formula in their recipe software And I'll just, right now, as a little aside that gets pointed out during this, you don't have to use a grandfather to use their software. It'll work with any kind of system. So if you want to try this out, uh, you can check it out for yourself no matter how you brew. But what they've done is uh, started using a formula called the MIBU formula, or maximum IBUs. comes from a home brewer up in Portland named John Paul Hosom. And we'll have links to a lot of his papers, too, because there's some very technical stuff there. Uh, did you try reading some of those?
1: I did, and I made it about halfway through before my brain sort of bounced and went...
0: You made it farther than me, because for me, calculus was almost 50 years ago, and uh, it it hurts my head (laughs) to try and recall all that stuff now. But it's very interesting, and...
1: As as I do say in the interview, oh, hey, he's doing
0: integration. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, The good part of it is that you don't have to understand how it works to be able to use it, and... like, like I've said in the interview, I, I feel like maybe my IBUs and my beer are now coming out a little bit closer to what I was expecting them to be. But enough of all that, because you're going to hear us say it all again. So uh, sit back, grab yourself a beer, unless you're driving, and check out this interview where we talk to Sam Loder and Marco Haynes from Grainfather about MIBUs. Did you guys ever hear the interview we did with Glenn Tinseth?
8: Yeah, I did. Um,
0: He basically said nobody should ever expect to get the same results I did.
8: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And um, yeah, on the uh, MIBU uh, equation, that's kind of where it starts. Um, Yeah, exactly. It it started with the work that Tensith did, um, you know, to follow on from, you know, the recognition and the Mosher equation for IBU. And um, like with most... Scientific equations—it's wrong until proven right, and then it's right until proven, <laughs> proven wrong. <and> wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right, I love it. Well, and that sounds like a perfect way to lead into the conversation, then. Yeah, right. Cause yeah, we're we're used to being wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
8: yeah, exactly. Right.
0: Well, now that we've got everybody thoroughly confused, I guess we'll let you know what's going on. Today, Drew and I are talking to Sam Loader and Marco Haynes from uh, Grainfather. And this whole thing kind of came about because I was digging around on the Grainfather website, and they have a whole bunch of really cool technical papers. But one that really got my attention was one about... MIBUs, which you might have gathered uh, from our little discussion there, is about uh, the maximum IBUs in beer. And of you guys want to just kind of like give a quick rundown on what it is, how it works, and why it's a good thing?
9: Um, just a, just a, what fascinated me about MIBU is um, for a long time um, playing with these, the, the brewing software, you know, BeerSmith, grandfather, brewfather. Um, that if you're if you're doing a a boiler edition with, with zero, at zero minutes, then um, the software says you get zero IBUs for that boiler edition. And I think all of us can agree that uh, it's not the, the common experience uh, if, you, if you chuck hops in at the end of the boil. You're not going you to get zero minutes. Um, and over the over the years, people have attempted to um, to kind of model that and classify it as a hop stand and try to figure out what percentage of um, IBUs you get in your hop stand compared to your boil. Um, and I think IBU, the MIBU method, um, at the core of it, it tries to model post-boil interactions between the temperature, um, the hop and the wort to try to, uh, scientifically try to estimate how many, uh, to the beer after the boil. Um, but in, um, creating an algorithm to account for that, um, we end up up with with quite a a more comprehensive way of calculating IBUs. Um, So traditionally with Tinsip you would do one calculation for your whole boil Um, whereas with MIBU we actually run through the whole um, boil time in in very very small increments like 0.01 of a second and then for each of those small time increments we actually uh, adjust the water volume, adjust the gravity, calculate the instantaneous IBU for the that small time period, and then we sum those up right from the start of the boil until uh, end of the boil, until actually you get to the end of your cooling. We try to model the whole uh, temperature changes and molar changes in the work and gravity changes from the start of the boil uh, to the chilling phase, and try to model that whole um, that whole interaction. Yeah, no, I'm but about that's, uh, that's what we're doing.
1: Now I, may be about 20 years, now, I may be about 20 years removed from my uh, calculus experiences in classes, but sounds a lot like you're doing some sort of almost calculus-like idea in order to calculate the IBU edition.
9: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of like uh, integration um, mm-hmm. for, for bitterness um, over the full time, yeah. Yeah,
8: so we are, um, if you think of the IBUs contributed um, to the work from the hops, um, it is a curve, and we're effectively integrating the area underneath that curve to give the mm-hmm. IBU.
1: Right, and I think it's important to to spell out for people who may not be mathematical nerds. So the Tenseth equation that we all use, that was sort of a, a regression equation that that Tenseth created to sort of kind of fit his experience, what he saw in his stuff, to the particular curve that he saw. So okay, well, what's the math that we can do? But it's very discreet. And that's kind of one of the things that we think, it, it, that sounds like it's one of the problems that you're trying to solve here, is that it turns out that hop additions are not very discreet.
0: So, so I got a question here. Is this mainly to account for... Late hops—that's that's my understanding of it—is does it have any effect on, say, like your sixty-minute hops or anything like that?
8: Um, um, it does, because um, well, we've in- included some of the the new um, modifications based on uh, alpha acid solubility and that sort of thing, which um, is included in the MIBU, um, but as well as um, hops that are added later in the boil. Um, if you've got a hop stand or, you know, a whirlpool or anything like that and yet you've added in hops at 10 minute point, uh, classic tens of the equation would halt that IBU contribution as soon as you get to zero minutes to the boil. But for all of that time that you're above, uh, 72 degrees celsius and some smart person out there will have to do the conversion to fahrenheit um you are still getting ibu contribution so in the classic equations it wouldn't take into account that period of time we are sitting above 72 celsius during your hop stand or whirlpool or even in your cooling time um, between throwing in your immersion chiller or cooling and transferring to your fermenter. Um, so that's where this equation as well is starting to come in and add those extra pieces of information.
0: You know, and that kind of like uh, goes with something that Glenn said when we were talking to him, which is that uh, unless your cooling time takes exactly the same amount of time as his does, that uh, that you won't get the same results that he gets. So it sounds like that's something that this definitely works around, huh?
8: Yeah, it definitely gives us more more clarity. Um, Kind of as I alluded to before, um, we don't know the complete accuracy of, of these like most scientific equations. It's just the, the model that we see works best at the moment um you know there is uh empirical information from firestone walker Sierra nevada a few of those ones about um how much uh ibu they're they're getting based on their techniques and their brew houses um for whirlpool and hop stand um based on the UV vis uh, analysis of their beer um but with slight kettle changes, which is another thing that, we'll, that the MIBU equation takes uh, into account, um, you can get different contributions of, of IBUs.
0: So, you know, we've always said that uh, you know when you put an IB or when you get an IBU estimate from software. You're going to be lucky if it's anywhere in the ballpark, and so I, this must be then an attempt to make calculated IBUs line up a lot more closely with actual measured IBUs, huh?
8: Yeah, that's that's correct, and um, the the next frontier will be finding a way to accommodate the uh, portion of hops added. That are not, um, isomerized alpha acids that contribute to bitterness. Um, there's still that, that missing link in the chain, uh, especially as we do more, um, really low temperature, uh, whirlpool additions and large, uh, hop addition, um, dry hop additions that we are doing with the, with the haze craze and, and these really big, um, IPAs and whatnot.
0: So are you saying that you do actually get an IBU contribution from dry hops?
8: Yeah, but it's not a it's not necessarily from uh alpha acids or isomerized alpha acids. Um polyphenols uh yeah. have been shown to to add uh bitterness um oh, yeah. to finished beer. Right. Yeah. Um and but that's something But I think
1: this I mean this goes to that confusion, right? The difference between an IBU which is really just a measure of that isomerized alpha acid versus bitterness, as we perceive it, which has IBU components, and then, to your point, polyphenols and yeah. and other compounds.
8: Yeah, this might be a good point to kind of clarify on that, that, you know, the IBU came from um, UVIVA's uh, analysis of acidified beer um, at 275 nanometers, I believe, um, and that Concentration of compounds at that wavelength corresponded well um, with what people perceive as bitterness. Um,
1: (laughs) And very, and very importantly, what they perceived as bitterness when they were talking about things like lagers and that sort.
8: Yeah, nineteen (laughs) sixties lagers. Yeah, well, I mean, and I'm.
0: That's why I was really curious about that because. Obviously, the the polyphenols in dry hops certainly give an impression of bitterness, uh, whether or not they add IBUs, and you know, it's going to be real interesting to see how those end up getting quantified because, I mean, for me, speaking for my taste, one of the things that I don't like about uh, hazy IPAs, uh, New England IPAs, is the the polyphenolic burn that you get from uh, all, the, all the dry hops in them. So, you know, if there's some way to quantify what those polyphenols are going to be doing – to your taste buds that's very very interesting
8: yeah and it's um this is probably going to come from you know those great scientists over in yakima valley um doing work on the hops that they're harvesting and processing um the the uh, analysis data that we're getting on hops now is so much better than what we were getting even three or four years ago. Um, you know, we've got you know alpha acids, beta acids, total oils. We're starting to now get full breakdowns on the linaloo, uh, geranium, um, all the other sub-essential um, oils. Uh, it won't be long before um, we figure out, uh, you know, how much are polyphenols and we can do a scientific correlation between the amount of polyphenols in um, that variety of hops and the associated bitterness. Wow.
0: <laughs> that would be so cool that would be a total revelation in the brewing world uh, you know and something that people have dreamed about for a long time and always just assumed there was no way that you could actually give it a number
8: yeah and 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 it's um you know it's it's amazing what, the way that brewing science has is just making leaps and bounds uh like being um with the work in the interview that you guys did with Scott Janeth uh Scott Janish um the other the other week and the you know just the spider graph data of adding this hop together and this hop together and you're getting spikes of um tropical fruit versus herbal versus floral and seeing how they overlap to you know Brennan um, presenting on files in, in and beer, and how the biotransformation reactions of those are allowing us to track and, and progress um, the yeah the reactions of hop oils with enzymes and the presence of yeast to create new weird and wonderful fruity aromatic compounds. <laughs>
0: man that just it it blows my mind when you think about all the uh all the potential factors that go into influencing this and being able to actually get a handle on what those are as opposed to uh, brewing 84 test batches to f- find out, you know, <laughs> having some idea where you're going to end up is is just stunning.
8: Yeah, and it's, you know, it's uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, we're just all, um, you know, building on the work that, that we've done and um – um trying to just help everyone get a little bit clearer and make better beer.
0: Now, I, I discovered this concept because uh, I use the, the Grainfather software when I brew on my grandfather, you know, um, and I, it, it was in there, and so I started using it, and, you know, I, I really do feel like maybe I'm getting a more accurate uh, estimate of what the IBUs are and what I'm doing do you know of any other software that is utilizing this formula yet uh, no I actually don't
8: um, and that's and that's part of the reason why uh, Marco and myself have worked so hard on implementing it um, I believe I heard about the work done by John Paul Holsom, um on the mibu equation I, I can't remember which which podcast it was from because uh, I Try to listen to most of the brewing podcasts out there, Um and stumbled across it and really loved the uh, amount of depth, uh, the scientific rigor that was put to this and um i shot it straight over to marco and we both geeked out for a a few weeks uh while we while we convinced the the rest of the software team that this was this is was a really good thing for us to do um but i am sure that yeah um the addition of this to other softwares will be coming out soon
0: so marco you're a software guy right
8: yeah, that's right. So
0: how difficult was this to implement in software? Um,
9: so um, so, so um, John Paul Hossum, he's done quite a lot of work. He's actually got his own little site where you can um, experiment with the, the MIBU um, formula and just kind of uh, add a, you know, two or three hop additions, and it's kind of hard code code um, the rest of your recipe details, like your, your um, batch volume and, and gravity and things like that. So... Um, he did a lot of work in terms of um, creating that algorithm. Um, it was it was a bit of a challenge uh, making it fit into our existing um, platform, uh, you know, rather than just a standalone calculator. Um, and, and then actually in the process of uh, um, of moving that over and implementing it, I found a few um, a few with it. So I actually, uh, um, to, to improve on the, um, ended up a, a kind of a For both of us, it was a bit of a challenge. There's um, a few things to change. One of the things was, in the original equation, it's assumed that uh, the user or the brewer would, uh, during a hot stand, they would cool their wort to a specific temperature and then uh, maintain that temperature, um, say, with the use of a a heating element or something like that. Um, Whereas in in our experience, or at least with our grandfather brewers, um, the convention is, is rather to let the temperature slowly um, cool uh, while you're doing a hot stand, so and to, um, to kind of uh, create that option for it to let users switch between those two. Um, a few other tweaks, but um, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty interesting project. Um, I know <laughs> it, and in it to me. It's
0: putting it mildly, I'm sure.
9: <laughs> Definitely, when I read through all the um, through the article, it was really interesting, and uh, right from the start, I thought, you know, this is this is what we're missing. Or this is what this brewing software world is. It's very exciting to kind of That's One of my favorite parts, I'm um, sorry, I just keep going. Um, especially after reading the book, the, the blog article was the way that um, he presents the graphs, um, you know, those um, integral time graphs that, that helped me visualize going on what we're trying to, to model. So instead of just ending up with a number, uh, you know, five or ten or whatever, you actually have a, a, a really good visualization of of what's going on behind, behind that number, like how did you get to that number. Um, so I, I really like that, and I think that's almost one of my favorite parts of, of the implementation out so, our uh, performance, being able to view those, how each hop edition actually um, affects the contribution
0: I, I assume then that you've had the uh, beers analyze to empirically verify the the results of this uh, this formula
9: uh, we have not um, the, the author um, has done a lot of tests um, so we've, we've just gone off of his um, data people who want to be able to see that data
8: yeah um, so we can give you guys the the link to his um, to his blog articles where he goes into very uh, deep detail. Um mm-hmm. the article that I wrote for the Grandfather um page is is lighter um and kind of gives more of a, a softer overview. Um but I uh cite his his work in there as well and use the links to take them to specific articles. So if people do want to go through that we can um provide the links to mm-hmm. to those articles.
1: Yeah, and I believe it's the uh, what Alchemy Overlord uh, blog site. Yes, that's correct. Right. Yep. Yeah, Alchemy and yeah, it, the writing there is pretty dense, but it's it's also still I mean I mean it's scientifically written. It's so it is dense in that nature, but it's very approachable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, man, I'll let you read it and explain it to me. Well, I think that's part of the point. So now let me ask. You guys have implemented this in the grandfather software, and I I know a lot of people will think, okay, well, you know, the grandfather software, I have to have a grandfather. But, I mean, anybody can actually just download the app and use it as a recipe form.
8: That's correct. We've – Actually added in all types of brewing equipment um, into the software. So you don't have to have uh, grandfather specific equipment to, to use the software. It's also a completely free software, um, which, you know, you don't really have uh, too many options in that regard these days. Um, and, you can also fully add your own custom equipment as well. So we've got a whole lot of pre-selected ones, uh, there from all sorts of brands. Blickman, um, uh, Brutals, uh, Bruzilla, um, the Guten products, uh, all of those. Um, but as well, you're fully able to customize your own equipment in there for, um, home built systems. Um it's what I used to do before I had a grandfather was brew my own three um build my own three vessel systems and uh then changed over to a grandfather unit and (laughs) yeah kind of the rest is history being here talking to you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. So basically, no matter what kind of system you brew on, you can use the grandfather software and start dealing with MIB
3: exactly. And we also have
8: to track through your brew day as well to to take you through your brew day on there um, as well. So recipe development, um, brew day. Uh, process and then into fermentation and Marco and I are working on some stuff around serving and uh, everything like that so we're we're always working on new features uh, for the app and and like any piece of software we're always trying to streamline it and make it better and all that sort of thing so um with each, every two-week sprint, um, we're, we're seeing uh, improvements and, and new pieces come out.
1: Well, yes, but how do your retrospectives go? Wait, never mind. Sorry. Agile.
8: <laughs> That's a question. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, okay, so let me ask, you guys have gone through and, uh, I mean, you have this, this new form of calculation in there and uh again i mean we'll link to hobson's material as well so that you can read that as well as the grandfather article but now that you have this equation now that you have these new numbers do you feel like it's better reflective of what you actually taste
8: for me i i think that it does um especially with the way that we're brewing now um with uh, later boil um, hop additions, as well as whirlpool additions, I think it's it's much closer. The standard 50 IBU of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, um, with all boil hop additions, is is slightly skewed, um, and now we can have a more representative uh, of that um, in our in our own home brewing. Um, without be, without having the ability to, you know, send off our samples for lab analysis and, you know, sitting there and doing 17, 20 odd repeats of the same recipe on the same brewing equipment and sending them all off to know, yep, that's the IVUs that I get. And, you know, mm-hmm. being able to, um, adjust what our, um, alpha acid contribution for each hop um you know that's that's a thing as well that we need to remember that we have a full library of you know over 200 hops in the in the grandfather app but if you're not looking at the packet and confirming oh yep that's the alpha acid that they say on the pack to what's on there and and making that adjustment you are you're, you're set, kind of setting yourself up for failure a little bit, or at least not tr- as true results as what you could get.
1: Well, never never doubt the ability for people to sort of gloss over the little details.
8: Oh, we're all lazy <laughs> brewers in the
9: end, or at least we attempt to be. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, that's yeah, right. I, have to um, I, I think in my be I've definitely seen um, the business level a little bit more where I'm expecting it, whereas previously... Um, I would say I'd bring a lot of um, late hop beers and say I'd be aiming for something around 30 um, IBU, um, but then it would, it would always turn out a little bit better and a little bit unbalanced. Uh, but I think since we introduced this, I've, I've been able to, to hit the right balance a lot better with those kind of beers.
0: You know, and I I don't tend to brew a lot of late-hopped beers. I've even stopped doing Whirlpool editions and stuff like that in favor of dry hopping. But I still feel like uh, when I'm using the MIBUs, I'm tasting a more accurate representation. It's more what I would expect it to be than it was before Mm. I was doing that.
9: That's awesome. I think a perfect part of it is also how up until now, everyone would just completely... Ignore what happens after you uh, after you finish your boil and um, like if you're, if you're brewing with the grandfather and you're um, transferring the wort out with the counterflow chiller um, that that wort's still sitting there but, you know like at at, um, at temperatures for the whole duration that you're um, transferring the wort um, I think even for late hop beers there's a lot of carryover um, bitterness. Happening after the boil that, that we can actually
0: now take into account. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that is is the case, and uh, my my taste buds <laughs> seem to confirm that too.
1: Drew, anything else we need to get in here? Well, I think it's important that this is another step in the in the move towards the unified beer equation. How to capture all of the beer experience <laughs> in a single number. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, if only Einstein at homebrew, huh? Yes, if only Einstein at homebrew, we would uh, we would be well past the hazy and uh, milkshake IPA phase. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope.
0: So, you guys, uh, is there anything else you want to get across uh, about IBUs?
9: So, there's, there's the, the main IBU algorithm um, that we're using um, in this new way of calculating. <clears throat> and then there's a few uh, extra options that um, that kind of just uh, optimize it in different ways. So, so one of them is called um, Alpha Acid Solubility Limit Correction. Bit of a mouthful. Um, if you're in the grandfather software, if you go into Preferences um, and you've got your MIBU uh, business formula selected, you have some extra options that you can configure. So one of them, um, this Alpha Acid Solubility Limit Correction, it's enabled by default. And um, basically the theory of that is that um, you keep adding more hots up until the point uh get to a point where there's such so um, like uh, there's so much uh, alpha acids already dissolved that um, you know you've reached a solubility limit so um, as part of this equation um, the authors built in this way to uh, uh, try to account for that and then so it, it's quite you get you get the scenario that's quite interesting where um, say you add um, I'm talking grams for a minute but say you're adding 200 grams to your um, to your boil, um, there's a point where you know adding more adding more grams it's going to add well, according to our equation it's going to add zero uh, IBUs if you then add another um, later hop addition and I think this trips up a few people but um, that comes down to the, the code we've got there, in there to, to kind of like limit the maximum uh, IBUs that we'll display for a recipe so it's not always what people expect I think if you have recipes where You've got really high IBUs, like over 100. Um, if you then put uh, our, um, into our platform, you might get lower numbers, but that's because of this option we have to to account for that uh, solubility limit.
8: Yeah, which we've seen seen that in the past um, with the old calculations. You know, you would you would throw these uh, beers in there, and you would have you know 200 IBUs of of calculated. Uh, you know of calculated IBUs, but then when they got those measured uh, empirically through the labs, they were actually about a hundred or so. Don't quote me on those numbers, but just as a as a reference. Um, and and that's where the solubility limit comes in. It's like adding you know sugar to sugar or salt to water. You can only add a certain amount before the salt just doesn't dissolve in the water and all sinks to the bottom. Um, so there's some yeah research done around that to, to just help um, give you more more valid numbers.
9: Yeah, and I think with the core calculation, prov- providing high, higher uh, IBUs, then you might expect it, it works quite well um, together with that to limit like the, the, the higher numbers when you get too, too high. So that I think it's quite important to, to have those working together. Otherwise, you might see um, pretty high numbers where, you, where that you wouldn't expect them.
1: So, in other words, there is a certain amount of, of well, at the, after a certain point in time, you just can't cram any more hop to the beast. Exactly. <laughs> well, wow. There's going to be a lot of yeah, people you just, are you're just
8: soaking up your beer at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, and that's part of the reason why I've always, whenever you see people talk, like, oh yeah, no, I, I used, I used three pounds of hops in this five-gallon batch or twenty-liter batch, right? Um, I always look at that and go, why? <laughs> yeah.
0: Why? Why still? That? It's a try.
1: Because it's the
0: American way. More is better.
1: <laughs> no, it gets even wor- it gets even worse if you when you have the people who are like I used you know X Y Z amount where X Y Z is a very large amount and it's like yeah Citro Mosaic and Galaxy and you're like okay well you just decrease the global supply of those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really. Okay, well, let's wrap things up here. We have been talking to Sam Loader and Merko Haynes from uh, Grainfather about the MIBU concept. It's implemented in the Grainfather app, and uh, just because you don't have a Grainfather, although maybe you should, you can still use the app to uh, play around and learn about MIBUs and see if it is a more accurate representation uh, for all you guys out there when you brew. Guys, thank you so much for getting up early on a Saturday morning to join us yeah, here. No
8: problem, guys. Um, yeah, and for those out there listening, if, if people have any questions uh, about the software and stuff, um, you can contact us through the uh, um, Grandfather Help. Um, we are both the, the sort of the final stop there, and if has any questions on MIBU or anything else around the software? We're always happy to answer those questions for people. Um, but it's been great being on here, uh, Denny and Drew. Always, always nice to have a conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. You know what? And maybe it's not going to be a whole heck of a long time before we can all get together
8: again. Yeah, here's hoping. Uh, hopefully uh, be up there for um, Homebrew Con this year and might have to find a way to to make some pies over in the States for you.
3: Yay, pies. Oh,
0: man. Man. (laughs) I I learned to make pies after I was down there. Uh, A couple of the guys uh, from Nelson, Carl Summerfield especially, uh, came up here to visit and uh, showed me how to make pies. So, uh, maybe Maybe what we need is like a pie contest. Yours against mine. Yeah. I'll <laughs> be the judge. It's on. <laughs> I, have, I have no illusions about who would win that contest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, thank you once again. Uh, it's great to talk to you, and I hope we can see you before too nice? long.
8: Yeah, likewise. All uh, right.
0: <laughs> bye-bye. So uh, what do you think? What's your reaction?
1: Drew, very dumb.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I, can, I can relate, man. You're not the only one.
1: No, actually, what I think is interesting is I I, 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 I want to dig in more. I want to play play with it more because I'm really, really curious because I think it's heading in the right direction, right? So people forget, uh, or uh, hopefully listeners of the show don't forget that, of course, Glenn Tensis with the Humber, who developed the IBU formula that most of us use. And so now what we're seeing here from Mr. Hosom is another sort of development that is, again, trying to shift – how we think of those numbers to reflect how hops are being used these days. And again, to pull it back to the beer I was talking about earlier, the uh, worth exploring uh, Andrew Bell over there at radiant beer. Every time I would ask him about IBUs, demurred away from trying to deliver an IBU number because he didn't feel like it was reflective of what he was trying to aim for in the, in the beers themselves. And I think, I think this is a big problem right now with like all of these hop forward IPAs. Like, how do we actually figure out what are we seeing? What are we actually tasting? How do we quantify that in a way that we can all understand it and understand that when we look at this number, oh, that's what I'm going to get or at least ish. Right. So I'll be curious. I think, I think one of the things that we need to do is we, is we need to bring, bring him on and see if he can't teach to blockheads like us more about his formula.
0: Yeah, yeah, and to me, one of the interesting things about it, and something that's always uh, concerned me, I guess, is the fact that you, if you really load up on late hops, you get apparent bitterness from all the polyphenols in the hops without really adding to the IBUs. So besides figuring out the IBUs from late hop additions, this is also working towards trying to figure out what kind of bitterness uh, contribution you get from from the polyphenols in, in your late hops. If you're going to put like 48 pounds of, uh, of dry hops into your uh, New England IPA, it's going to have an effect. And this is a way to kind of quantify that and give you some idea of what kind of effect it's going to have. So, I mean, I know that Marco and Sam said that they're going to be working a lot more with it at Grainfather. I expect that uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this coming up. I've heard from uh, other people who make brewing software that they're going to be implementing this formula. But I would really encourage all of you who are ready for a little bit of geekery to follow some of the links on our website to uh, Hosam's original articles, Go to the grandfather website and check out some of the articles they've done there. And just follow the developments because, like Drew said, I think that over the next few years this is going to get very interesting. Yes, it will. And there you have it two episodes all about the IBU, maybe more than you ever wanted to know, but we looked into the origin of the Tinseth formula for calculating IBUs. We looked at an experiment that we did that uh, showed that maybe what your software is showing you in terms of IBUs isn't really what's in your beer, and we finished up looking at the MIBU formula, a new way of calculating IBUs that accounts for things like whirlpool additions, and may. Be Just be more accurate than what you've been using, at least for your taste buds. So, thanks for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest writings and adventures by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on X, formerly Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the Slack homebrewing channel and on the uh, subreddit for homebrewing. You can find me at the AHA discussion forum, the brew house at the beer garden. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm all over the place. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at com, And if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at com, And he's Drew at com. And you can always send us a text or leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1AL. That's 626-765-1AL. If you call that number, Drew probably won't answer. So, you know, if you want to harass him, you'll just have to do it via email. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or for Drew, brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.